Welcome to In In It It Together. Together. I'm Jay. And I'm Courtney. And this is our podcast where we discuss mental health and self-improvement from a couple's perspective. Hello again. Hello. How's everything going today? I'm good. I'm a little, uh, I don't want to say afraid, but it's going to be an interesting podcast. This is something that I deal with, right? Yeah. We are going to be talking about RAD today or reactive attachment disorder. This actually came as a request. Okay. So let's get into it, I guess, right? Because I, <laughs> nothing like peeling, you know, just ripping the bandage off, right? Yeah. Well, like you said, you know, you just got to rip the Band-Aid off. You know, it's just it's going to hurt a lot less. But anyways, so uh, reactive attachment disorder, this came at a request. And so I said, why not? You know, let's take it on. So for anybody, you've probably heard the term that's a rad kid. You know, it's reactive attachment. And really, it's it, this occurs when within the first two years of life or infancy, there is a lack of attunement and attachment to a caregiver. OK, and. Attunement is simply being aware and being able to connect with the child and attachment is then what comes afterwards. So when a child's life has been disrupted, you're going to see that there are some behaviors that follow with this this diagnosis, if you will. Yeah. And if you've listened to our previous podcast, you know that I am a rad child, I guess. Right. Yeah. Um, and, and, and not in the, rad. and not in the cool eighties rad way. Right. <laughs> no. Um, so, so yeah, so this is, this really does hit home for me, um, because as we were doing some research on it and when I say we, I mean, Courtney was doing research on the, on this particular. Yeah. Um, I just wanted to make sure that I had up to date cause I hadn't been in the field for some time. So, but it, it fits <laughs> but me. I to, was like, whoa. Yeah. It fits me to the T. And again, if you've listened to our previous podcast, you know that, you know, and I, I think I've, at least twice have kind of gone into my past and how um, I was at a very young age, I was shipped around and I never created these bonds, which is what created this, I guess, disorder, if, if you will. Yeah. And uh, so, uh, so what, a, you know, we, you touched upon it a little bit and this, this happens usually within the first two years of life, right? Yeah. Because so psychologists, you know, say, and, and this is true, the first two years of a child's life is the most important. This is where your neurons are making connections. You learn to read facial expressions. You even understand as a young child when someone is upset. So when you have RAD, during the first two years of life, there's a lack of attunement, which means some adult that was supposed to be your caretaker hasn't connected in a way with you that has allowed you to pick up on other people's feelings. You kind of seem really disconnected as a, you know, as a young child. And therefore, because there's no attunement, there's no one to really feel your feelings and understand you and soothe you, you then learn to not become attached to other people because that's really, really scary. And so that can be caused by a number of things. And one of the biggest things is emotionally unavailable parents. So how does this differ from abandonment? Because we did an abandonment podcast on it and it's very similar, but I think uh, for our listeners, it's important. Um, the, The distinction here is this happens with in you know very young you know the yeah. again the first two years it's those attaching bonds and this can happen mm-hmm. in, in my case of course it was you know unfortunately due to you know financial difficulties and caregiving difficulties when i was younger with my mom and you know not having the support system here where she was so you know that that facilitated what happened to me right the the fact that my mother because she had to work she couldn't take care of me so she sent me to my grandmother's 
And unfortunately, it was this back and forth where my mother would miss me and, and go get me and then couldn't take care of me and then had to send me away again. So, you know, that's where the, the detachment happened. These detachments can happen for a, a myriad of reasons, right? So, you yeah, know, if, well, I, if mom is, you know, has postpartum for saying, you know, doesn't want to have anything to do with, with the child, those are the beginnings of, of where this can happen. Again, because it's very important within those first couple of years or even those first couple months, right, to have these healthy attachments. And in, in other cases where, you know, infants are abandoned mm-hmm. or sent into like the, the the system, this is where these lack of attachments start to form. Right. Well, like, you know, even for the first six months, you know, a baby can only see so many inches in front of them. This is where attunement comes into play. You know, so if your caregiver is emotionally unavailable, lets you cry all the time, is not picking you up, not soothing you, not comforting you. You know, that's, again, where it starts. And and also the changing of, of caregivers. So you mentioned postpartum, you know, so if a mother doesn't have the support to be able to connect with her child, that can create nervous reactions in her in, in the child to then start emulating and displaying some reactive attachment. You know, and, and this isn't to, to say anything negative, but when you have a lot of nannies, you have a lot of babysitters, you know, so you have a lot of people coming in and out of the home and taking care of you and, be, and because maybe it's not consistent or maybe because it's not long enough, you stop slowly attaching because people become a revolving door and it's painful. It's painful to not be able to have something to hold on to it and to have it go. And you'll you'll also see reactive attachment, you know, disorder happen in neglectful and abusive homes. You mentioned abandonment and how is it different? It's different in that with abandonment, there is a form of attachment, right? You've attached, you felt attuned to at some point. So when that person just leaves and the band-aids ripped off, that's where the abandonment. So sometimes abandonment can be a byproduct of this. It just depends on how how you look at it. And neglect and abuse can really cause these issues, like you said, if you're going in and out of foster care or bouncing from home to home, there's just no point in connecting because it hurts. Yeah, I think you nailed it with what you just said, right? If in, more, in order for abandonment to happen, you have to have had some form of connection. Right. So when we're talking about RAD, this is a, you know, a failure in connecting at those very young stages. So once you do not have that connection, it's much harder to, you know, get abandonment later on. Yeah. And not that, some people will not argue. that that can't develop, right. you know, later on, because once you do bond with someone and they leave, that can lead to abandonment issues there. But right. when we're talking about RAD, I think in particular, and it's it's interesting because, you know, I, I remember like our youngest daughter, the pediatrician recommending, you know, skin to skin a lot with with our young daughter and, you know, our son. But back, you know, when I had my 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 first two, right, there there wasn't such an emphasis on that. Mm-hmm. But but now I see how important that is to bond with your child right at the beginning, you know, and have that skin to skin contact, and and it's so important for those, you know, first bonds and those first um, connections. Yeah. Well, also skin to skin in that in that attunement releases you know, oxytocin in, in the body. So it's those feel-good hormones. It's what provides you with comfort and, and things like that. It also helps with the postpartum depression is having the connection with you. So, I mean, those are the basic causes when you look at reactive attachment disorder, you know, moving a lot and everything that we have discussed. So that's where you start to see that presenting. And I think it's really important because 
when you start thinking about it, sometimes rad it's been misdiagnosed in adults, you know, as as a mood disorder or bipolar without having to look at and taking a look at what's been going on in the past. And I think it's really important that when we look at rad, we understand how it manifests in both children and adults because once you can understand that, you really can kind of take a step back and see if you present with some of these things. Like, is it really abandonment that I'm dealing with? Do I really have a mood disorder or is this an attachment disorder that I have that has gone unnoticed. And you also mentioned to me that bipolar is is a common misdiagnosis for RAD, right? Yeah. Bipolar is um, a common misdiagnosis for it because you'll see some consistent overlapping behaviors. So I think it's really important that people take the time to go back, to really look at the childhood, to look at the dynamics, to look at the everydays, because that's really important to be able to see has this person really had some attachment and entombment? What did the first two years of life look? And that's going to be a huge indicator in whether it's rad or bipolar. And, you know, to all our listeners, it's important to, you know, anytime you're dealing with any type of diagnosis from a doctor, you need to, you know, take that seriously. Absolutely. By, by no means are we saying that if you have been diagnosed by, you know, with any of these disorders that you want to, you know, disregard that. Um, but what we are saying is make sure that you're questioning anything that you're you're told right and yeah. then really analyzing yourself because no one knows you better than you as long as you're being honest and upfront with yourself and you know you're you're doing what we preach all the time right taking those hard looks in the mirror and being realistic with yourself as to what are your issues where they come from you know and being able to trace them back to prior traumas and experiences so Again, it is very important that if you have had some type of diagnosis, make sure that you're properly taking care of that, but also be aware and, um, you know, do your own research and really, you know, self-explore. Yeah, absolutely. And so I think it's really important that when we start looking at, you know, behaviors and such, understand like, you know, what Jay had said. Some things it's called comorbid. It means when you can have two presenting, you know, issues overlap. So you could potentially have both. It's just really important that you are communicating effectively to your doctor so that you can get the most accurate diagnosis and treatment plan thereafter. So I think that was a really good point that, you know, please follow the recommendations of your, you know, prescribing doctor and, and the one that's diagnosed you. So let's talk about how the how RAD presents and we should talk about how it presents in children and how it presents in adults because that's that can vary. Yeah. right? And teenagers, too. OK, so um, so if you're dealing so so we're talking. So if you're either dealing with yourself as an adult in your self-improvement journey or you're you know looking at your son or daughter or any ch child that may be presenting with RAD. What does that look like? Yeah. So I have a lot of experience in this because I worked in group homes and foster care for a very long time. And one of the biggest things that you will see with RAD is sabotaging. Sabotaging, I think, is number one. And what does that look like? Well, I can tell you in younger children and teenagers, whenever they start to feel a connection, you know, a caseworker, you know, when I was, a, I, I'd come in and, and I really spent a lot of time, I'd pick up their favorite snacks, anything that they felt that they could start bonding to, they would try to do something to upset me. They would try to do something to hurt me, like call me names and things like that. They sabotage it because it's going to feel so painful in their mind when this person is gone. So I'm going to just ruin it right now because I get to control how much pain it is. It's also a testing phase. 
does this person really like me? Let me see if I could do the worst thing possible to them. And are they going to stay? And I've seen this and and this is, I'm not making this lightly. There are kids that would go to the bathroom in people's shoes. So they go and put their shoes on, destroy property, um, call them names, try to get people in trouble, um, tell them that they wish they weren't here no more, you know, and it's really just an ongoing cry for help. So self-sabotaging behavior will be number one to look for. Yeah, it's like, you know me. <laughs> well, you haven't gone to the bathroom in my shoes, so. Not yet. <laughs> no, not no, yet. I, no, we it, haven't talked about the adults yet. So let's let's continue talking about the kids, all right, and the teenagers. Well, in terms of sabotaging, I, you know, again, as a child, I remember exactly what you said, right? Doing not defecating in anybody's shoes, but but absolutely, you know, pushing those limits because, it, you know, if you felt like, this person was getting too close or you were going to bond, you wanted to avoid that at yeah. all costs because you 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 felt, you know, again, subconsciously, this person is going to leave or this person's not going to be here. So let me just, you know, mm-hmm. again, rip or the band. They can't that's kind of the theme. My, do of, they really like me? Yeah, that's like a, the theme of this of this podcast, right? Just rip the bandage rip, off. Rip off the bandage. So, so you know, so sabotaging absolutely was the number one thing. And then uh, I think to go along with that is the the craving of attention, but also pushing away that attention once you get it, right? I think that's yep. part of that sabotage. Like you want you want so much. You, you see kids very needy, clingy, want attention. The second you get it, they're they're smacking you, they're punching, they're pushing you away because they want it, but they're pushing away because they're afraid they're, that they're not going to have it. And so it's this push-pull relationship that they have because they're at odds and fighting with themselves and their own emotions. And and a lot of the time it's just like, are you going to be there for me on my worst days? Do you accept me at my worst days? How do I know that? So they try to recreate the worst of the worst days to see if you're still going to stay. Because in most times, people that have left children or children that have rad have seen that even at their best behavior, people have left. So they just don't know if it's a reflection of them as a child or as a person or if it's something else. So that's why they test limits. And And I can tell you that when I was a, a caseworker, it took about six months to build trust. And then after that, you know, they didn't want when I had to leave and move to a new job. That was rough for a lot of them. I mean, tears, crying, hospitalizations, things happened because they were losing me. And I and, and you know, to this day, I stay in touch with about five or six of them as adults because I think, you know, they, they've sought me out and I'm still part of their life. And I think it's I'm the first person to have built a relationship with them. So you'll see that and you'll see anger. Anger is another big one. Yeah, and I think we can, uh, this is a good segue into adulthood, right? So how do these issues present in adulthood? Flaw-seeking. So when you're about to date, right, you could find the perfect person or the perfect person for you, and then that's a red flag. And so you're looking at f- for flaws in people. You know, you're, you're constantly, look. it doesn't matter how long you've been together, you're constantly looking for things in them that is an out, you know? What's wrong with this person? What don't I like about this person? What can I fix? What what do they need to fix? It's it's flaw seeking and it's a form of, of self-sabotaging because you just you want to find something wrong in that person. Um, and, and sometimes it, it can cause a lot of issues in a relationship. So that's one thing that you'll see. And so because of that, there is this trust. It's hard to trust in a relationship. Are you really who you are? Are you really going to be here? And it doesn't matter how long you've been together. Trust is a is a big thing. Over the years. It can get better, but it really comes with acknowledging that these are the behaviors that you have. So, 
Okay. And what other, other symptoms? Because I know <laughs> I'm reading your notes here and these kind of fit me to the T, right? Uh, verbally abrasive. That can be me. Absolutely. Yep. Verbally abrasive slash abusive. It can be at times. Not you, but you're, you'll want to see that. So lashing out, just like a child lashes out and calls names. Adults can do that with rat. Just lashing out, name calling. Sometimes it feels good to hurt the other person and not realize it, but it just kind of gives you a leg up a little bit. Um, so you'll see that. But it doesn't mean that the person doesn't love you. It's just it, it provides a sense of relief. It's a, it's it's odd, but it makes complete sense when you look at the issues of a child and when the ch- children act out. It's the same thing. Uh, also, episodes of unexplained irritability. That, that can also yep. be me. Episodes of unexplained irritability and sadness. So for no apparent reason, you just feel agitated. You feel irritated, sad. And it's frustrating because things can actually be going quite well in your life. You could feel balance and you could, you know, do an external scan and say, okay, this is okay. I'm stable here, but still just feel it. And it's because our bodies, our bodies remember, our bodies hold the score. Our bodies remember what it felt like to feel like to have nobody. So when you finally feel like you're at balance and at peace, you're going to sell, you're going to start feeling like, no, this isn't right. Something's wrong. You know, when your life feels balanced and calm and stuff like that, it doesn't last long. And it's because your body's like, no, this is not right. Be prepared. Shit's going to hit the fan, you know. And so you start looking for flaws in your life. It happens. But being mindful of that is 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 key. Yeah. So this all fits me to a T. And again, not <laughs> not to excuse the behavior, because, again, none of these things, even though they do fit me. Right. And these are things that I do, you know, that does not excuse me from doing the the these, you know what I'm saying? I realize and recognize that these are the things that I need to improve, but it starts there. It starts in recognizing why this behavior happens, right? And and understanding if you if you're demonstrating these behaviors or if you're seeing your partner demonstrate these behaviors, it might be he or she is just just a horrible person, or like in uh, I, I hope in my case, right <laughs> that. That you see that, you know, he they're dealing with this trauma that is unresolved that, you you know, that person needs to recognize and work yeah. at. And then you could help as well work through through with them. So, again, it's not an excuse, but understanding where it stems from is the beginning of changing the behaviors and understanding where it comes from. Right. The other thing is, and, you know, I want to make sure that I mention it is easy to walk away. People with reactive attachment disorder can shut you off like you're dead in seconds, like whatever, you know, they can just turn off. And that's very painful to the partner that is connected. And I can and I need to kind of be honest here and say I I haven't always really been as understanding of your own trauma because I've been wrapped up in my own. But since I started my healing journey, I can now identify like my husband is behaving in that way. Not that it's okay, but his own trauma is triggered. And how can I show him that? Like, I understand like, and so even when I was writing this up, I was like, oh, okay, that makes sense. Or, oh, okay, that makes sense. So it's like really important that, you know, like you said, that it's just it's just that recognizing piece. And to understand where it comes from can really give you the perspective on what's needed to just work through it. Yeah. And on that note, we're going to take a quick break and uh, we'll come back to talk about working through it. How do That's we work great. through it and how, as a person that's dealing with RAD and you know, from your perspective, right? How do you help someone that's dealing with rad work through it? So we'll take a quick break. We'll be right back. We want to take a moment to thank our listeners for all their continued support. If you like the show, 
please consider supporting us via Venmo at QAskCourtney. That's the letter Q, Ask Courtney. Any amount is appreciated and will help us to be here with you on your self-improvement journey. You can also reach us at podcast with an S at epiphanymedia.com. That's E-P-I-C-P-H-A-N-Y media.com. Thank you. Now back to our podcast. So we've been talking about RAD, reactive attachment disorder, and we want to switch gears a little bit. We've kind of defined it and, and now we've recognized that we may be dealing with it. How do we start to overcome these things? What are the techniques that you would recommend to start to break these uh, this trauma that's happened? Okay, so before I go into it, I just want to say that I think it's only fair that we do a podcast on anxious attachment because that's all me. Okay, because I, I think I think it's only fair. But okay, so anyways, let's talk about working through it. Now you actually said one of the the, the key points in in you know a, a few minutes ago, which was owning it and recognizing it. You can't fix anything if you can't see it in yourself. So if you heard some of these behaviors and you're like, oh crap, like that's me, or that's my husband, or that's so and so, it starts with that psychoeducation and realizing like okay, I'm presenting with this. I need to accept this. Now, again, and it, and it's, it's, not hard. Re- exactly. it's not a reflection of you as a person. It's just behavior. It's just a, well, a byproduct a, of trauma too. Yeah, though. exactly. It is a reflection of you as a person, but it, that's, the, that's the point, right? You have to be able to, you know, I don't like, you know what I'm saying, that I can be abrasive and, you know, abusive, you know? It's not something that I want to hear, you know, but it's something I need to hear because I can't improve and be a better person and, go through a self-improvement journey without facing that, without saying, well, you know, oh my God, I'm, I can be that, right? I can, you know, is what you said, right? My ability to just walk away from a situation hurts you, right? And that in, in turn, I need to hear that for me to acknowledge it and say, oh, I don't want to hurt you. I don't want to, I don't do this purposely to hurt you. I'm doing it to protect myself, right? So, so, but understanding your side and and really uh, accepting those hard truths is what gets us to the next step, right? And right. and and it's you know that's that is the journey, right? Um, so as hard as it is to hear that you know the things that I do can be perceived as abusive or hurtful to you, those are the things I need to hear for me to 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 say, okay, this is what I need to change about myself. And that's part of, like I said, that is the journey. And I think that, I don't know, for anybody that's listening right now, I think it's really powerful when you can hear someone say, I do these things. I'm not proud of these things. I don't want to do those things and I need to be better. So just modeling that, I think, was awesome. And I think it's really important to note that, you know, not everybody needs therapy. I mean, people can definitely benefit. I have one to work through my stuff. So I would highly recommend, if, if it's something you haven't tried, finding a good trauma-informed clinician that specializes in the attachment therapy, attachment theory, and understands CBT therapy in a way that can help you say, okay, when I'm doing this, it comes from this, and now I understand that. And then you are able to assess the situation and say, is that going on right now? Well, no, it's not. Okay, now this is what I have to do. It's really replacing old non-productive coping skills as a child to now 
productive means of being able to cope with things that feel uncomfortable. And really, that's how you work through RAD. And you mentioned CBT therapy several times here. Just for our listeners that are not, that don't understand or don't know what CBT therapy is, why don't you explain that a little bit? Okay, so CBT therapy stands for cognitive behavioral therapy. Now, here's the thing. The term gets thrown around loosely all the time. A lot of therapists say that they specialize in it. They don't. Cognitive behavioral therapy teaches us in a very structured way that we do not have control over the thoughts that come into our head. We cannot stop thoughts, okay? That's what people want to do. How can I just stop this? You can't. You must allow them to flow. What it teaches you is, is what are you going to do with this thought? You have two options, right? You can decide to sit in it, wallow in it, get sucked in it. And then before you know it, the default mode network in your brain, which just goes down the midline of your brain, starts finding more problems for you. And before you know it, you've wasted 10 minutes of your time making scenarios up in your head. Or you can do deductive reasoning. Okay, right now I just had a thought that I'm feeling like this. Is this thought productive? Does this thought match up to what's actually going on? Is this triggered by my trauma? So cognitive behavioral therapy teaches you what to do and how to think about the thoughts that come into your head. And so that will help you when you have RAD because it will help you understand that I'm not a five-year-old right now. I'm an adult. And what's going on is this has nothing to do with the situation. This is just me trying to protect myself. But I don't have to do that anymore because I'm not in in an unsafe place. Now, are there specific techniques to this CBT therapy? There is. And one of the techniques, like I said, is, is when people are anxious and are presenting in a way, they are to write down whatever that thought was. Like, you know what? Forget this person. I'm, I'm, I'm done with this person. I don't want to talk to this person anymore. So they write down why are they doing that? Well, I don't want to do that because I don't want to hear what they have to say or whatever it is. Or this person annoyed me or they're ir- irritating me or I can't stand them right now. And then you ask yourself, OK, so you look at why you want to walk away from the situation. And then you ask yourself, is this productive? You know, and you have a column. So they want you to be able to, because one of the things with these attachment disorders and things like that, you see everything very loosely through one perspective. So when you write it down and you make columns, you learn to make connections between a thought, which is what you wrote down, a reason, which is what you wrote down, and then how you can connect the two of them. So then you write down, okay, this is not productive. If I walk away, then I'm abandoning the situation. I don't want to do that. Or if I walk away, then I'm missing out on an opportunity for me to build attachment with this person or build trust in this person and have it in myself to know that I don't need to sabotage this. This is a good conversation. Positive can come from this. This is different than I'm about to blow a gasket and hurt this person's feelings and then I'm going to feel worse. So I need to take a few minutes, but I'm going to come back to this. I'm not going to run away from this. I will be back to finish this conversation. And you can write that out too. Cognitive behavioral therapy takes work. You can't just do it all in your head. People who have trauma because they have memory lapses and because trauma changes the composition of our brains and the structure of our brains do not function so well with getting it all in your head. You need to write it out. So that's one of the techniques. You have a little notebook. You can even have it on your phone, but you have a place that you can go to that you can do like Venn diagrams that you can map out the thought, the feelings behind the thought. And is it realistic? It takes a lot of work, but you retrain your brain. Now, in terms of when you're in a relationship, so for our listeners that, you know, again, you you may be the person that has the rat or you right. may be in a relationship that you've 
you've recognized now after listening to us or, or maybe you've had a, a longstanding uh, a belief that the person you're in a relationship may have rad, right? So how do you how do you help? How do you work through a relationship where one of the partners may potentially have this disorder? How do you work with them? Like like in our case, right, where you know I have this disorder, right? And I'm, you know, doing my best effort to try to work through it. Uh, how do you help? And then we'll, we'll also talk a little bit about like if you suspect that your partner has rad, but they have not come to to terms with that they have this. Okay. So you're a bit of a, an anomaly when it comes to uh, this particular method because you are pretty self-aware of things. You may not have known it was rad, but you're pretty aware of the crap that you do, you know, and you work on it. So there's a difference here. So I can't use this example with you. So I'm going to just come up with, you know, someone that's like me. Okay. So if I was in a relationship with someone or you're in a relationship with someone that you think to have rad, the last thing you want to do is go to them and say you have reactive attachment disorder. Mm -mm. You need to spend some time educating yourself on re what reactive attachment disorder is. Where does it come from? Which we discussed acknowledge and start writing down the behaviors that your significant other presents with so that you can understand and then try to find solutions to those. So this is going to kind of be on the DL for a little bit, because if you go to someone who's not prepared to hear that they have attachment, uh, reactive attachment disorder, you're going to see sabotaging. Oh, you don't want to be with me anymore. Fine. You're going to have to deal with anger. You're going to have to deal with all of that. So there is a way that you can do this. So if you start to see my spouse right now is sabotaging this right now because he probably is feeling insecure. So instead of saying you're insecure, you know, you can say something like, look, I'm not going anywhere. I hear you. You're very, you know, justified in how you feel. Thank you for sharing that with me. You're yelling at me right now. It's making me feel really upset. So I think we need to take some space, but I promise I'll be right here when you're ready to talk about it. You're you know, soothing them that, hey, I'm not going anywhere. So this abandonment that they may have, this self-sabotaging that they may have is going to start to decrease. So slowly over time, you'll start to learn how you can communicate with your significant other. If you start to see that, you know, they're verbally abrasive or abusive, you can simply say, look, you're being abusive right now in the way that you're talking to me. It's hurting me. And I know that you don't want to hurt me. I think it's because you feel hurt right now and you're struggling to express yourself. So why don't we just take a couple minutes and we can talk about it. It is going to take a lot of work on the other end. Now, I don't have to do this with you because you're already doing it. I just have to tell you how it makes me feel. So I don't necessarily have to point out you're sabotaging this because you know. I just have to say like, I love you, honey, like no matter what. I say that to you all the time. I love you forever and ever. It probably drives you insane, but I tell you you're my forever. I tell you... I. I find ways to tell you these things, how much I love you. It's just my way of just always letting you know I'm I'm always going to be here. I tell you that no matter what, I'm always going to be here. No matter what, you're always going to be my ride or die. I say that all the time to you. That's just my way because I don't need to have to like do these things with you because you're aware. If you're screaming or you're yelling or, you, you know, you were verbally abrasive, you're the first one to come to me and say, most times, I'm sorry for that. And then I can express to you like that really kind of hurt my feelings. And you'll say, you know, it wasn't about you. It was about me. So you are more in control of this than the average person because of how insightful you are. And that comes from you talking about your childhood and how you were always in your head and stuff. So the way that I would help you is different is just kind of actually holding you accountable. So you're hurting my feelings right now. I don't want to have this conversation. Or I've said, don't yell at me. I've said it back to you. 
That's how I can help you because you become aware. But that's not where you want to start with someone who isn't aware. You want to kind of help counteract their behaviors. Okay, so here's another example. If your significant other is testing you, and this will come at sometimes, like they'll say things to upset you, to get a rise out of you, to trigger you, whatever it is, they test. They like to test and it sometimes makes them feel good just to make sure that they have the upper hand in some cases. You don't want to come right out and be like, oh, you're feeling insecure right now or you're doing this or you're doing that. You can simply say, there's no need to kind of test the boundaries. I'm here. I'm not going anywhere. I don't appreciate what you're saying to me right now. Like you're acknowledging, look, I know what you're doing. It's not necessary. You can, you know, and you can take a step back. It's really calling the behavior out in a way that you're showing that you understand where it's coming from. You're calling it out. You'll still be there for them, but it's not acceptable. So you're placing a boundary in place. If you continue to yell at me like this, we're going to have to take 10 minutes so that we can continue this conversation without you verbally abusing me. All that you are doing is modeling the exact behavior you want from them. And the fact that you're not walking away, never walk away from someone who has rad. I've learned don't do that because it's just near. Stay there and fix it and handle it. Running away from someone who has rad and say, I don't, you know, and, and not talking to them makes their anxiety worse. And I've seen with you that if I just say, I'm here, even if I'm crying, I'm listening, I'm here, I'm not running away, it makes things better. These are little things that I've learned. So really, it's just getting to learn and understand your partner and trying to find creative ways to work with them. And once they start becoming aware, then you can bring the psychoeducation to them and say, you know, this sounds a lot like reactive attachment disorder. Yeah, you nailed it, right? So I think it, it all has to do with acknowledging the behavior and calling it out for what it is, right? Because again, these are all, in, in, a, in a weird way, these are kind of cries for help, right? I feel when this happens, it's like I feel out of control or I feel like I'm going to be abandoned or I, you know? So, so understanding that that's where this is coming from, acknowledging, hey, you know, you're testing me or you're trying to sabotage, I'm not going anywhere that diffuses the situation and makes that person a lot more aware of mm-hmm. why they're doing it and 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 helps that process. It also shows that you love your partner because you're not taking it personal. Like he's not trying to sabotage this because he's got a side check and he doesn't want anything to do with me. And he's trying to get rid of me. He's sabotaging this because he's just feeling insecure. He's feeling or she's feeling upset or she's feeling triggered or maybe this feels too good to be true and something bad's going to happen. How can I reassure them? You know? And, and that's that's where that starts. But everybody's partner is different. And that's why I had said it's going to take some time for you to study the behaviors, study the response and understand you're going to get a such more welcoming um, reaction from your partner when you can approach it like that. And then once you've done that for a little bit and you can see a little change, you can come to them and say, you know, I've noticed these things and I find that these interventions seem to be helpful and you've been working really hard on these things. I'm not sure if you know this, but... This is reactive attachment disorder. This is this stems from, and you don't even have to say reactive attachment. You can just say this is an attachment disorder that comes from what happened when you were younger. And I'm here for you and I support you. That is going to make a big difference. Yeah, I think that's great. And uh, we're going to end it here. And I think this was a good discussion. I hope you guys got something from it. And, and make sure to reach out to us if you have any more questions. We'll definitely hear for you. And uh, hopefully you'll be you'll stay tuned with us because we're going to be doing a podcast on fear next. So that's going to be interesting. 
So guys, if you aren't following me already, you can find me on TikTok at ask.courtney, on Instagram at askcourtney underscore, and on YouTube at askcourtney. And if you'd like to be a guest on a future podcast, you can reach us at podcast with an S at epiphanymedia.com. We'd love to hear your stories, guys, so make sure to reach out. And as always, we're all in this together, so stay safe. Remember, there's no shame in asking for help. Till next time.